It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, so sitting next to Max's wife, hanging out at City Field, drinking cocktails, eating hot dogs, eating peanut butter and jelly cookies, and the New York Mets put together really another pathetic offensive performance. I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. You know, Jeff McNeil delivers a two-out double against Bobby Miller. Pete Alonso does nothing. They get a two-out hit from Brett Beatty in the second inning. Mark Canna does nothing. They go one, two, three in the third. They go one, two, three in the fourth. And then in the fifth, they have a rally set up by the bottom of the order. Starling Marte gets a hit behind in the count. Mark Canna gets hit by a pitch. Omar Narvaez walks. Bases loaded one out, Brandon Nemo. And much like how the Dodgers won on Saturday because of a miscue, the Mets took advantage of a miscue because Brandon Nimmo tapped into what should have been a 1-2-3 double play. And that would have brought, you know, even though Nimmo had been hitting at least much better than some of the other guys in this lineup over the course of the last two days, that would have brought the house down to booze. He hits a tapper right back to Bobby Miller, who cannot field it cleanly, goes off of him. And he still gets the out at first base, but it allows the run to score to give the Mets a one nothing lead. And then Bobby Miller came out of the game. I assume he was hurt. I couldn't tell. Maybe they said it on the broadcast. Uh, but he came out right after that, after that comebacker. And the Met offense did not take advantage. Because Francisco Lindor comes up right after that against Grotterall with second and third, two out, base hit away from making it 3 nothing, And with the way Max was throwing, you actually would have felt halfway decent about it. And Lindor swings at the first pitch and grounds out. And the Met offense could not figure out the Dodger bullpen. And in case you don't believe me that the Dodger bullpen had been mediocre most of the season, I'd like to read some ERAs for you. Ryan Brazier, who pitched a 1-2-3 inning, 5.46 ERA. Phil Bickford, who pitched a clean seventh inning, 5.82 ERA. Alex Vesia, who looks like Billy Wagner in his prime and had one of the easiest one, two, three innings in mankind, a four pitch one, two, three inning in the eighth inning against Nimmo, Lindor, and McNeil, came into this game with a 6.45 ERA. That's who the Mets could not hit. And we all knew with Max on the mound, this Met bullpen behind them, and the Dodger offense that scores five and a half runs per game, there's no way they're winning one nothing. Like, no one in their right mind thought that that one run would hold up. Now, to Max Scherzer's credit, and I have to give him credit, because as disappointing as he's been as a New York Met, 
He delivered on Sunday night. He was great. No issues. No nitpicks. Now, there is one nitpick, but I'm not going to put it on him. (laughs) i get to that in a second. But Max was great. Like, the Mets give him a lead in the fifth inning. What does he do against the top of the order? He actually delivered a shutdown inning. He did not glavin it in the sixth inning. He gets Mookie Betts to fly out, though it was deep. He strikes out Freddie Freeman. He gets Max Muncy to pop up. A shutdown one, two, three inning in the sixth, and then comes out in the seventh with a pitch count at 90 and throws seven pitches for a one, two, three inning against J.D. Martinez, David Peralta, and uh, Jason. Was it Jason Edward? No, I think he was out of the game already. Jake Marisnik, the former Met. Max was great. I got no negative words for him. Freaking brilliant. Gets out of trouble in the fourth when he walked the first two guys, walked Mookie and Freeman. He got Muncie out. He got J.D. out. He got Peralta out. It was really a a great performance by Max, one of his better performances of the year. The problem I had, and I'm not going to put it on him, was I would have kept him in. Max Scherzer's pitch count was 97 through 7. He had retired eight in a row. He had not allowed a base hit, really only allowed one hit this entire game. That was that Jason Hayward got hurt on. When he put one down the third baseline, tried to stretch it into a double, and Beatty threw him out. He was in complete control and had a reasonable pitch count. Why not? You have an off day on Monday, which means he should have an extra day of rest, depending on how they want to line up this rotation. Why the hell not? You don't have a great bullpen. You got the bottom of the order coming up. I thought it was set up for Max Scherzer to come out and pitch the eighth inning. Buck revealed after the game that someday he'd love to talk about the conversations him and Max have, that sometimes they're very intense. They have a lot of discussions. So was this Max saying I'm done and trying to be honest about it? I guess it's on the table. But I'm just telling you, sitting there Sunday night, I want him to stay in the game. Once Buck decides to take him out of the game, here's the discussion point. He decides to go to Trevor Gott. Trevor God had pitched well as a New York man, okay? He had not given us any reason to distrust him, though this is a very different situation. You're bringing him into a one nothing game in the eighth inning. Now, here are your options. Is Adam Adovino available? Probably not. He had pitched the night before. He had thrown a million pitches. He had not pitched the night before that. So, really, it's only one game in the last week, essentially. But he did throw a lot of pitches the night before. Is he available? He should be available. Not that all of us love Adam Adovino anyway. You've got Brooks Raley, and you could go to Brooks Raley to start the eighth inning. Why not? James Outman's leading things off. He'll probably get pinched at four. You've got Miguel Rojas coming up, and then you've got Austin Barnes, who eventually got pinched hit as well. So you've got go to Adovino again. You've got go to Raley, and then you've got my idea. That was None of those things were what I would have done. Besides keeping Max in, which was my first choice, but okay, say he's taking himself out of the game. You know who I would have gone to, Pete? David Robertson. David Robertson. Because he did not pitch on Saturday. He did not pitch on Friday. The All-Star break was Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, and Monday. So he had not pitched in a very long time. The Mets have an off day on Monday. If there is ever a day for David Robertson to be extended, which, spoiler alert, he was, eventually. Why not right here, right now? Why would I mess around with Trevor Gott with a one-run lead? Why? 
And this isn't one of those situations where I'm asking David to pitch the eighth and I'm going to go to somebody else in the ninth inning. No, 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 Because I got the bottom of the order in the eighth inning. No, I'm thinking, go get me two innings. So instead, Buck goes to Trevor Gott, who does the number one thing he can't do against James Outman. He walks him. He gives up a base hit to Miguel Rojas. They are set up with first and second, nobody out. And here comes Will Smith to pinch it for Austin Barnes, who just misses one to right field, but it's effective because it's a sacrifice fly. Now you got first and third. Now you got Mookie Betts up. At that point, can you get Trevor Gott out of the game? Now, if you want to go to David Robertson then and there, I got no issue with it. First and third, one out, the best hitter on the planet or one of the best hitters on the planet coming up. If you want to go to David Robertson right then and there in the eighth inning, yes. Yeah, that's my preferred choice. I would have gone to him to start the eighth inning. Instead, he lets got face Mookie Betts. He falls behind Mookie, and he was lucky that all Betts did with that 3-1 pitch was just rip a single to left field. It could have been worse. Then he gets got out of the game and goes to Brooks Raley, which is fine, but why not David Robertson? (laughs) He's your best reliever. Now, to Raley's credit, he gets Freeman out, he gets Muncie out, and the game is at least tied going into the bottom of the eighth inning. But I wouldn't have done any of that stuff. And in fact, if I'm making the list of best options, option number one, Max Scherzer stays in. Option number two, just go get me David Robertson. Option number three, just go to Brooks Raley, who can get lefties or righties out. Then once you go to Gott, which I disagree with, and two of the three batters he faces get on, and the one guy he got out hit the ball pretty well, I am certainly not having him face Mookie Betts. I thought that was terrible managing by Buck in the eighth inning. And I just went through why. I'm not just saying it was terrible. I just gave you all the different ways you could have gone about this. Then he goes to Robertson in the ninth inning. Fine. Obviously, that's a no-brainer. And what happens? He extends him for the 10th, which, again, I'm with you on this. Like, at that point, of course you go to Robertson in the ninth. Of course you let him pitch the 10th inning with a runner on second. Nobody, of course, like no one's going to dispute that, but I would have used him earlier. David Robertson does a hell of a job, gets around a two out double to Chris Taylor, gets out of the runner on second. Nobody out Manfred rule in the 10th inning gets helped out by a tremendous defensive play by Francisco Lindor, robbing Will Smith and keeping the runner at third. And then you got the bottom of the 10th inning. Then what the hell is there to say? Luis Guillerme sent up the bunt. He can't get a bunt down. And on 0 2, he rips one over first base for a game winning hit. I mean, that's just, that's baseball, Susan. Though I do have one question that I need sorted out. Did Luis Guillerme get a game winning single or a game winning double? Because on MLB.com, in the box score, he has been awarded a game winning RBI double. When the video is shown on MLB, it's a game-winning single. I have seen other publications write it as a game-winning double. I've seen some publications write it as a a game-winning single. Now, I'm going to give you my interpretation on this. To me, it's a single because the runner is on second base. Like with a game-winning hit, with a walk-off hit, it's usually what would get the run to score. So I'll give you a great example or a better example. If the bases are loaded, with nobody out in the bottom of the ninth inning of a tie game, 
and a guy hits a ground rule double, it is not a double, it's a single. If a guy hits one off the top of the fence, it's a single. Robin Ventura, well, that's not a good example because he got tackled. But basically, whatever scores the run is what you get. So you don't get a ground rule double. You don't get a trip. You don't get an extra base hit. You just get a single. What complicates this is that the runner is on second base, not third base. Has there been rare examples of like a double needing the guy to score like he wouldn't have scored on a single? Yeah, there are singles where guys don't score. But in general, on these walk-off hits, they call it a single. So I apologize for wasting your time with this. This is what I find interesting. What <laughs> is it a double or is it a single, Pete? Well, where does where does Yahoo get their um, stats from? Is it from LLB or because they have it down as a double too? Yeah. My question, my question to you is this though: Where was he when the run scored? Was he on second base? If he's on second base, it's then it's a double. If he hasn't hit second base yet, it's it doesn't count. There's no way he hit second base. There's no way he hit second base before Beatty scored. There's no way. There, w- there was, you know what? I, I got to look back because I, I, I don't remember who it was and when it was. But I'm pretty sure, pretty sure this year in an extra inning game, there was a walk off triple. Now go figure. How is that even possible? No, no, it's um runner on first. No, in extra innings with a sick guy on second base. I think oh, the guy was on second base. Can't, well, no, no, it could happen if the team was down by two runs. Like you're assuming it was a tie game. If a, if a team's down by two runs or one run, and well, if one run, if if there's first and second down by <laughs> a run, and the guy hits one up the alley, you're probably going to call it a double. I I guess it's an official scorer's decision. I've always been under the impression that the way it's determined is what would have needed for the runner to score. And generally with a runner in scoring position, it's just a single that would allow the run to score. Again, I saw MLB.com's box score call it a double. I saw the video description call it a single. I, my scorecard's blank. I tell you that right now. <laughs> like I've got I've got Owen two on Guillaume. And then I was just excited because I was at the game and the Mets won. And, you know, even though they're 43 and 50 and going nowhere fast, I want to see my team win. Period. Stop. Like, that's what I want to see. So I don't know what it is. (laughs) We'll give you an update. Oh, one other thing. And I know this is like a purely selfish thing. Like all of us make decisions based on what's best for our lives. I kind of like the five o'clock Sunday game. I I really did. You got the whole afternoon, the whole morning to do whatever the hell you want, and then especially during the the summer. Now, maybe during the spring, it's a little bit different. During the summer, hot summer day, you go to the pool, you go to the beach, you do all these things. I kind of like the 5 o'clock game. Am I crazy, Pete? I I hate the 1 o'clock start. I hate every 1 o'clock start. I don't know why, even on the weekends, but I feel like I'm always doing something when they're going on. So if I really want to – if I'm going to watch a game, want to watch a game, yeah, I feel like 4 o'clock or on is much better – Again, it, it, it's the the Sunday night baseball sucks. Seven o'clock is too late. I I don't want to watch that. So four or five o'clock is a perfect time to start. Time to yeah. start. Now this game started at five thirty. It was scheduled to start at five ten after they delayed it because of the rain, which was smart. They didn't even delay it. They told us well ahead of time. Hey, this game is being pushed back. I think they were offering vouchers to those that couldn't go to the game. So at least you get something not ideal because I'm sure there are people that could not go to this game once it was moved to five o'clock. I had the the opposite effect where it made me likelier to go to the game. But for a Sunday afternoon, I kind of like it. I walked into my house by nine o'clock and I thought that was reasonable. 
they put out an email, which we'll do a podcast on this at a later date, but they did poll season ticket holders and those who have ever bought Met tickets this season on preferred start times. So we'll talk more about that at a later date. We'll get into that later. But they got the game in. They got the three-game series in. Where things stand right now, they don't stand great. They're 43-50. and 50. They are, let's just look at the loss column, eight games behind Miami, Arizona, and Philadelphia. They would need to pass two of those teams to make the postseason. So the hole that they've created remains rather large. They do have a part of their schedule. I can't even say it's a soft part of the schedule. Yeah, the White Sox are bad, but then they play the Red Sox, who've had a pretty good year. Then they play the Yankees, who are struggling, but still a better team. So, yeah, they play the Nationals after that. But as we've seen over the last year or so, no matter who's on the schedule, does not make it easy. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But yeah, they're in the same spot they were in. A couple of weeks ago, they need a long winning streak. Does any of us expect that to happen? Not really. They got three games against the White Sox coming up. Carlos Carrasco is going to pitch Tuesday against Lucas Giolito. Verlander is going to go Wednesday, so they're going to keep him on his regular rest. And then Jose Quintana will be slotted in Thursday to make his long-anticipated Met debut. That sets Kodai Senga up to pitch Friday night in Boston. So if my math is correct, Max Scherzer would get an extra day as well, and he'll pitch Saturday late afternoon in Boston against the Red Sox. The Mets have three games against the White Sox. They've got three games against the Red Sox, and then two games against the Yankees. I I can't get over this interleague stuff. Like, it's just weird that, oh, yeah, they're going to play the White Sox, the Red Sox, and the Yankees over the next eight games, including a five-game road trip that takes them to Boston and the Bronx, the American League East road trip. I I don't know if I'll ever get used to that, but here we are in 2023. Let me ask ask you a question because I haven't spoken to you really since the schedule came out for next year. They start and end with Milwaukee. Like, what the hell kind of schedule is that? (laughs) I know. First of all, I'm on vacation. I'm relaxing. It's the all-star break. All of a sudden, I get a text with the Mets schedule. And I'm like, are they moving this up every year earlier and earlier? Like, I remember it coming out during the offseason. Then I remember recently it's come out like August and September. Now it comes out in July during the All-Star break? I've examined it briefly because what I looked at was road trip possibilities. That's the first thing I look at with a Mets schedule. Like, okay, where could I drag the family? Can we go to Denver? Can we go to Seattle? Like this year was the perfect road trip schedule. I'm going to Boston for a couple of days. I am going to go to Baltimore for one of the games they play there. So it worked out great. Like they happen to be Boston and Baltimore, but they also happen to be on summer weekends, which certainly helps out. Middle of the week is, you know, usually not going to do me any good. So I look for that, but you're right. They open against Milwaukee and they end against Milwaukee. Now I wouldn't mind that if it was a division rival. If you want to sandwich the Atlanta Braves, okay. But against a team that where those are going to be the only times you face them, it is very strange. No question about it. Very strange. 
Yeah, it does make any sense. And again, like it came out in All Star break. There was no lead up. There was no build up. I know the Mets put. Uh, I think the Mets put out a commercial too and stuff like that. But like, you think they'd want to monetize it a little bit better than they did? I think it was a bad job by baseball. It also bothers me. I know this doesn't bother you and a lot of people, but it bothers me that the NBA season is months away and we don't have a schedule. And yet in baseball, a year out, we have a schedule. Like, and I think that's more of my anger towards the NBA. I would rather know the schedule. Like, I just would like to know, hey, who do the Nets open up with? Hey, when do they play the Knicks? Like, I, I like to know those things. I know most people may not care, but it's freaking July. The season starts in October. They're announcing their freaking play, uh, in-season tournament. But we, and who's in my bracket, but they won't tell me, you know, when the games are being played. Meanwhile, in 2024, I know what the Mets are doing in August. This that, is this is that this go, strange, and this goes to show where we are in a season where you don't even care about the Mets anymore. You're worried about when the Nets are playing. I mean, well, that's no. where we're at right now. <laughs> this is terrible. This is awful. Does Steve Cohen know what's going on right now with his team? Oh, I feel I'm, like they got blinders on. I am more worried about Aaron Rodgers' bowel movements than I am the Nets' schedule. I'm just saying that. The Mets schedule comes out in freaking July. And meanwhile, the basketball season starts in a few months and nobody has any idea when anything's going to start. Now that, that's where we are. Uh, should I get to some of these emails? All right, fine. A lot of angry emails. A lot of people are very, very pissed off. Uh, let's start off with, uh, Steven, Evan and Pete. What an incredible win against the Dodgers. Of course, I mean that sarcastically. We have won seven out of our last 11 games. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. And yet I feel like we made it look so bad in the process. I don't feel like we've turned things around, and I still think we should be sellers at the trade deadline. How do you guys feel about winning 7 out of 11? All the best. So the Oakland A's have had a hot streak this season. The Kansas City Royals have had a hot streak this season. All bad teams get hot. And unfortunately, for the majority of this season, the Mets have been a bad team. So that's why it's tough to kind of say, ooh, they showed a pulse. Things are changing. Not really. It's not really changing because all teams are just, like, bad teams get hot for a short period of time. Deborah writes, Jacob DeGrom, are we sure he's not pitching for the Mets? Max just got the DeGrom treatment. Ooh. You try to pick a fight with me, Deborah. Look, when it comes to these kinds of things, I will always err on the side of if the pitcher thinks they're done, they're done. So our reaction as fans is to look at it and say, hey, would I would rather have that guy stay in the game? Do I think he still has it? And you offer an opinion. If it really came down to the pitcher saying to the manager, I'm done, then I can't fight it. I'm going to give you a non-med example that lives with me for a very long time. In 2019, the Yankees are playing game one of the ALCS against the Astros. So let's go all the way back to there. It's in Houston. Masahiro Tanaka is pitching for the Yankees and is brilliant. Six brilliant innings. And Aaron Boone takes him out. Yankees win anyway. No issues. And I could not get over this. And I brought it up on the air the next day. Like, great win for the Yankees. Yada, yada, yada. How the hell does Tanaka come out of this game? Like, What is Boone thinking? And the excuses that were given to me from Sweeney and other Yankee reporters were, well, their bullpen's their strength. Why not get them out? Blah, 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 blah. Didn't buy any of it. A year later, and Sweeney did the reporting on this, so I give him credit. Sweeney says to me, you know why Tanaka came out of that game, Evan? 
I said, no, it still bothers me. He said, because Tanaka told him he was done. And I said, okay, well, that, I mean, what, what, what am I going to say to that? You know, we could scream and yell about pitchers. And I know that was one of the critiques of DeGrom. Well, demand the ball. Just make sure you pitch the eighth inning. Like, yeah, I get that in general. But if a pitcher who knows their body says, I'm not going to be as effective in this next inning, you're actually doing the right thing. Otherwise, you want this guy coming out there for a seventh inning where he's going to get his ass kicked and the game kind of turns. So I've looked at that differently over the years. Keith writes, the Mets are currently 19th in runs scored and closer to 26th than they are to the top 10. In 2022, the team finished fifth in runs scored. Elite to below average is a massive drop, and their inability to get sustained production has been a major issue for the entire year. It's fine to believe pitching is their number one concern, but please stop denying that the offense has been a huge problem as well. Stop minimizing it. This team isn't good at anything. Honest conversation about a rebuild will eventually need to take place. So I get this a lot now based on our conversation during the midseason report. I'm not excusing the Met offense. There have been many, many games, including this series against the Dodgers, where the Mets managed 10 freaking hits in three games, where their offense has cost them. I just believe that the pitching has been far and away their biggest issue. Doesn't mean their offense hasn't been an issue. Doesn't mean Pete Alonso hasn't been horrific for two months. Doesn't mean they've gotten the big hit every time they needed to. They haven't. This has not been a great offensive team. I just think not only with the results of this year, but even looking forward, I have more confidence in this lineup than they do their rotation. Their rotation is an old breaking down rotation with not a lot of guys who are going to be part of the future. I look at the offense differently. Now, we're going to do more emails in our next pod. We may even throw a bonus pod this weekend. But let me just say this about the rebuild. Because I had a guy say this to me at the Met game on Sunday night. Guy came over to me, sat down, and we started talking Mets. And he said, do you remember when what Mike Francesa said to you in 2008? And I'm glad he brought that up because I've mentioned this on the air a few times. That Mike and I argued a lot about after the first collapse, Mike said the core is rotten. They got to break it up. They got to trade Wright or Reyes. And we fought about it for years. I think Sal Licata was on my side. Like, we teamed up and disagreed with Mike, disagreed with Mike. And I think eventually Mike turned out to be right. I give him credit. The core was rotten. The Mets collapsed again in 08. Nowhere to be seen in 09. So the guy says, don't you think this core is rotten? They choked down the stretch last year, specifically the series against Atlanta. They have not responded at all this season. Don't you think something's up with the core? So my response to him was, look, they are having a terrible season, a historically bad season, coming off of 101 wins. I'm open to anything. And that's what I'll say to everybody listening. I am open to anything. Tell me an idea. I will listen to it. And then I'll give you my opinion. Maybe I'm open to more crazy things than you could imagine. So the guy then says, and this is the problem, not ripping him, but this is the problem with this whole, we got to talk about a rebuild. We got to talk about this and that. He says to me, look, I would trade anybody on this team, but, and he gives me the list of the butts, but Pete Alonzo, Francisco Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Alvarez, and Edwin Diaz. So I say to him, okay, hold on a second. 
So you're open to trading anybody. But the guys you own trade are Pete Alonzo, Brandon Nimmo, Francisco Lindor, Francisco Alvarez, and Edwin Diaz. Well, then who the hell are you open to trading that has any value? Oh, great. You're open to trading Starling Marte. Oh, great. You're open to trading Jeff McNeil coming off the worst season of his career. That sounds brilliant. Oh, you're open to trading Mark Canna and Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Like, think about what you're saying when in one breath, and I I don't mean to rip this guy. I mean, in general, like this conversation of, oh, they got to blow it up. Blow it up. And then you don't want to trade anybody. You want to trade the guys that nobody wants. Like, if you're filled with balls, if you're filled with, there's something wrong with this core, then have the balls to say you would trade Brandon Nemo. Then just say it. Then have the balls to say, I want to trade Pete Alonso, even though that's a little soft coming off of what's turning into a bad season. Then have the guts to say, you know what? I want to trade Francisco Alvarez. We got other catchers in this system. Kevin Parada is going to be fine. I want to trade him. Then, then say it. Because you cannot say in one breath, I want to break the core up and then name the entire core of guys you don't want to trade. That's my problem. And look, I'm sure we'll have much more deeper conversations about this as this horrible season continues. But keep that in mind. Whenever you say to your friends or you write an email to us, I want to blow it up. And then you proceed to name all the guys you don't want to trade. <laughs> uh, listen, I, the one thing I will say, because we we spent the uh, this is a nice podcast and we will be, be doing a bonus because of this. The trade deadline is coming up and we're going to have to talk about the guys that should be traded from this team. And I've, I went on my show all weekend long and said basically everyone you said needs to go. And I did name names that I don't want to trade. Pete Alonso was one of them. And I said Alvarez, I think Maurice Show is someone that I want to see build around. I think he's going to be fantastic. I don't think anybody's going to touch the Lindor contract. I don't think he's going to waive the no trade clause. So that's why I said I, you know, he's probably going to have to stay. But basically everyone else besides Alvarez, Mauricio, and Alonzo. I think Alonzo's a key piece because for for historical purposes, guy's going to break every record well, in Mets history. Yeah, and, and look, I, that means a lot to some of us, not to all of us, because there were plenty of Mets fans who were ready to get rid of DeGrom, not even realizing he was going to need Tommy John surgery, though. I guess that risk always existed. I, I have a very tough time with let's trade guys off of crappy seasons. It bothers me because it's – it's so easy to want to do that. And you and you react sometimes as if other GMs and other teams are not paying attention to the fact that Jeff McNeil is hitting 248. You know, we can't ignore that. You know, last year was the time to trade Jeff McNeil. It was. The guy won a batting title. The Mets had not extended him yet. He had two years of team control. If you had an issue with Jeff McNeil or said, hey, let's do something bold, you do it then. You don't do it when the guy's got a 670 OPS. Why would you trade someone at their worst value? Well, we'll spend a lot of, to- a lot of more, a lot more time on that as we get closer to the trade deadline. Because like you said, we're two weeks away. You know, we are two weeks away from D Day for the New York Mets and a lot of other teams around Major League Baseball. But they do have a three game series coming up against the Chicago White Sox. We'll give you a bonus pod before that. And then we'll get you a recap after the White Sox series. 
We do appreciate all the emails, and we've gotten a lot of them. Unfortunately, didn't have a lot of time to read uh, a ton of them. On that bonus pod, we'll certainly go through a lot more emails as we embark on what's been a, a terrible season and embark on a second half that's gotten off to a bad start at one and two. You can email the pod to RicoB at gmail.com. I am back on the air Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday with Joe B. Take a little bit more vacation, and then I'll be back basically working every day with the new show, which launches on the 24th with Tiki Barber and Tommy Lugauer and Sean Morash. I look forward to that. And congratulations to my man Pete Hoffman. He's got himself a permanent every week program Friday into Saturday overnight. The old Big Mac slot. So congratulations, Pete. Thank, thank you very much. I'm very excited. And it was a great way to start off uh, on on Friday and Saturday with the Mets losing and just going off on that for five hours. So thank you to the Mets for making it easy for me. <laughs> the Mets, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, we appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.